out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 94th edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Brought to you by me, your host, the Wolf, Mag B. And as usual, I will be joined by my partner in crime on the East Coast of the United States, Action Jackson. If you've never heard the podcast before, we are two old friends that talk classic rock, hard rock, prog rock, heavy metal, early MTV, everything that turned us on as kids, and everything we've shared together over the years. And as I moved to London, I thought I would take the opportunity to explore more English bands and bands that maybe made it over there but didn't make it in the U.S. and vice versa. It's always interesting to see who makes it big in one place but does not make it in the other. And this week we are featuring a band that was big in the U.S., really couldn't be bigger than Alice in Chains was in that whole 1992 to 1994 or 5 or 6 region, the time of grunge, which was so popular in America. And I know Nirvana did well over here in the U.K., but Alice in Chains never really seemed to hit the heights in the U.K., and not even really the rest of the world that they hit in America. Part of the Seattle scene, their first album, Facelift, featured the song Man in a Box, which was a big hit for them in 1990. 1991, they got to tour with Van Halen on the Foreign Lawful Carnal Knowledge Tour, and then they put out an EP called Sap, before they made their second album, Dirt, which is what we're going to talk about here today on the show. Now, hopefully you had the opportunity to check out show number 93 on Rush's Signals album, which just turned 40. And September is a big month for the history of Rush. Lots of great classic albums come out in September, not to mention it's Neil's birthday. I believe he would have been 70 this year, uh, but we all miss Neil. Wish you around, miss his writing, miss his wit, miss his easy smile, and not to mention his incredible prowess on the drums. Rush being one of our very favorite bands of all time, you're definitely going to get more Rush reviews over the years from us folks, and I hope you enjoyed that one. But going into Dirt was a huge hit, talking over 6 million copies sold, but then over 6 million singles off of it as well, featuring Jerry Cantrell on guitar and lead co-vocals. Lane Staley on lead vocals and, and mostly the co-writer. You got Mike Starr on the bass and Sean Kinney on the drums. And Lane Staley was struggling, guys, during this. He was knee-deep in heroin, and he was neck-deep in just some bad thoughts, some self-hatred, some bad people around him. He funneled it incredibly well. He has an incredibly soulful and powerful voice, and he can really communicate these emotions and these hard things that he's feeling, which makes for some incredible music, but it can be very hard to listen to. And it really screwed up his life. I mean, obviously, in, I think it was 2002, he eventually succumbed to his drug addiction, as did bassist Mike Starr uh, several years later. And you can hear it all throughout. And listen to the listen to the names of the songs. Godsmack, Junkman, Down in a Hole. These are not happy songs, right? This is not good for them. However, these are not happy songs. This is not what you sing to little kids. You don't talk about this stuff around the dinner table. However, it brought them great success. Lots of Grammy nominations, tour opportunities, which they had to tour down because of Staley's condition, but lots of record sales, you know, and a lot of fans. So we're going to examine this song, uh, album as it turns 30. It was released September 29th, 1992, when we were in college. It was definitely part of our zeitgeist, if you will, and definitely in the air, on the radio, in our dorms, in the cars, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to get into that here today. Now, first, I need to thank you for listening. I want you to download, subscribe wherever you podcast. Apple is huge. Spotify is big. We really like good pods. It's great for independent podcasters. But really, anywhere you get your podcast, we want you to download and subscribe. And if you're enjoying the show, hey, 
give us a five-star review, or at least a positive review, because it helps us find more rock and roll fans like you. And we have to thank our incredible sponsor, RareVinyl.com, based in the UK for almost 40 years. They've been delivering high-quality, rare, hard-to-find, and pristine quality LPs, CDs, singles, tour books, whatever you need. It's not even all rock and roll, but they have over a quarter of a million items in stock. They have an amazing team to assess what's out there and what they can get for you all, and they ship all over the world. And the best part is, because they're sponsoring us, you use the code PODCAST, and you can save 10% off all your orders. Not just the first order, but all your orders going forward, which can really help with shipping costs. And maybe give you that incentive to, yeah, maybe I'll just pick up that extra single. that I, I won't just get one, I'll get two. Great shop, great people. Go to rarevinyl.com or EIL.com, use the code PODCAST, save yourself 10%. And we're super proud to be part of the Pantheon Podcast family. About 100 shows, all music-related, all fantastic hosts, great guests, and right now we're running the giveaway of a lifetime, right? Ugly American Werewolf with Pantheon Podcast is giving away an exclusive VIP ticket package to Nick Mason's Saucerful of Secrets as they tour the United States across the fall. That's in September in October. So go to Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets. You can get tickets there. And then go to pantheonpodcast.com backslash Nick Mason and check out the opportunity for you to enter to win. You get all sorts of cool stuff. You get a chance to be on a Pantheon podcast. If you go to the Indianapolis show, which is where Jackson and I are going to be, you can meet us and maybe be on our show. We can't wait to, to see the band again. I got to see them live in Royal Albert Hall, and it was so special. I'm so psyched they're going to be touring America, and that we can help one or two lucky fans upgrade their tickets all the way to the front row. So check that out right away. But I'm not going to lie to you guys. Going through this Dirt album was not easy. Okay, it was not an easy listen. It's not happy. It's not like there's some heavy songs, and then there's a light one or a ballad now and then. Or there's, there's some downer songs. There's some uplifting songs. They're all very much downers. They're all heavy as hell. And it's not one that I'm probably going to listen to a whole lot, to be honest with you, going forward. I may have listened to it quite a bit back in the day, but there's a reason I hadn't listened to it for all these years. It'll just bring you down. If you're in a good mood, it'll, it'll fix that for you, you know? And obviously, everything that Lane Staley and some of his bandmates went through, that's some tough stuff. And if it helped people get off of drugs or realize that they're in a bad spot and need help and then they got it, okay, that's great. And I hope anybody who needs that help gets it. But this, for me, was a tough listen. We're going to walk through it here, though. It's me and Jackson talking Allison Chains Dirt on its 30th anniversary here on The Wolf. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It was all like looking up in life, you know, have a positive attitude. I'm in a neat place. It's cool to be here. I'm figuring it out. So, all right, what are we going to review? Well, dirt's going to be 30. All right, let's listen to that. Oh, my God. I'm a horrible person and the world sucks. <laughs> well, I would agree with you. It is a very, very tough album to listen to. But if you're... Let's, how old were we? Probably we're 19, 19 or 20. Yeah. And and angsty. This was a very good friend. <laughs> you can't deny some of the riffs off it. It was so, it was like dirty Sabbath. It was so distorted. It really kind of like, yeah, it took you right back there. Uh, it was just what he was singing about and the way he sang is like, whoa. At the time, I don't even think I realized exactly what i was listening to when it comes to lane staley to be honest with you well because i didn't have any kind of dark deep thoughts i was still kind of a happy like american suburban kid like la 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 yeah things go bad for me but they always tend to work out right but not like this i didn't understand yeah. anything like this yeah i was i i can't tell you that i was in the same boat with lane staley but yeah there were definitely some some things that i related to on this record it's it's kind of sad now to go back and look at this because you know how his life ended. And, you know, had he was, had he been one of those guys where it was like, yeah, you know, I was really messed up for a while, but I got through it. And, you know, now I'm 12,000 days sober or whatever it is, but no, you know, he died in Seattle face down. And it's just, it's just a horrible story of a dude who had a lot of demons and just couldn't get past them. Yeah, I mean, a tragic story, but it was always his story. I felt like it was always going to be his story. It was like from the very beginning. Well, I don't know. Man in the Box, I don't think we really knew anything about his heroin use or anything like that. That came out when we were in high school. It was a big hit. Mm. I don't think it was kind of widely reported. But then when this album comes out, Dirt, 1992, it's pretty obvious what he's singing about. I mean, it's, Correct. it's it's very obvious. And then you look at him. Look, this had five videos, five fairly mm. you know well produced videos, five singles. That's a lot for back in the day. This was incredibly successful, man. Yes, correct. And and they were. I don't know. I bought Facelift when it first came out. I thought it was great. I thought it was a. I thought it was a hard rock record. Nobody knew what grunge was. Right. They, they kind of got lumped in because they were from Seattle. I never thought of them as grunge. They were more just like you said, like Sabbathy, mm -hmm. hard rock, blues based. And yeah, th this start to finish, this album is just brutal. But what I was thinking was that it was their sophomore record, but right. it's really not because they put Sap out. 
which was kind of the, I mean, it was an EP, so it doesn't really count. And it's acoustic, so it's not necessarily, I mean, most of it, you know. So Correct. It's not, it, yeah, it's between those two things, and it has the ghost track on it. Yeah, okay, whatever. But but they did do something different in between. So yep. I was thinking, like, this was the, this was the, you hadn't heard anything from them since Facelift, but that's not, I, I forgot all about that, because I kind of get Sap and Jar of Flies put together Confused. in my mind. Yeah. And so I had forgotten that they, they had one in between, but it's kind of a it's kind of a good deal because apparently they they recorded that the last track would for the single soundtrack. Right. And then I guess Sony had given them some money to re-record it. And they were like, Yeah, we're not gonna do that. So they took two days and just recorded what would become SAP because they liked how that it, how it sounded, they wouldn't want to mess with it, and they wanted to put this out. So and I guess all's well that ends well. I'm sure Sony was a little bit bent out of shape when they did that, but that's interesting, but. though. Yeah, no. And so, I mean, I guess Wood, yeah, because Cameron Crowe did put it in singles. He did help direct the uh, that the Wood video. You know, and mm-hmm. at the end of the video, you kind of get a little I don't know what you call it, an advertisement, a little video bumper, you know, a little thing that showed the the label of the movie or the poster or whatever it was. But yeah, so yeah, so that's all right. So how did we come into this back in the day? Jackson, all right. So I mean, this yeah. comes out in September 1992, our sophomore year. Mm-hmm. Living in the Elizabeth Hall, correct. With some of our lifelong friends. <laughs> we didn't know it at the time yet. Yeah, I was thinking about that too, about how because, like you said, I remember when it came out. I remember living in Elizabeth, and then I remember, yeah, we used to. That was a crazy year. That <laughs> was uh, that was very interesting. But I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait for it to come out because, like I said, I was a huge fan of the first record. So right. when the second one dropped, I didn't even really care. I knew I was going to listen to it. So that was September 29th, mm-hmm. uh, 1992. And I assume that was a Tuesday because that's when they used to release new records was on Probably. Tuesday for whatever reason. Uh, and I assume you went across the street uh, to Park Avenue CDs. Money in hand, ready, yes. to, ready to roll. Yes, yep. yes. This, this was one that I would have bought sight unseen because I because yep. back then you know I, I had had there was an, well and then I, I I was excited too because we were talking about wood on the on the single soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I was super excited when they included it on this record because I can't stand when there's a great song on a album that you're probably not going to buy. Yeah. No, it's a tribute album or it's a soundtrack, a lot of soundtracks out there, right. or, you know, some kind of odd compilation thing that yeah, no one was ever going to buy. Yeah. It, it drives you nuts. It's like a good B side. It's like, why did you leave this off the album to begin with? <laughs> Better than the last six songs on the damn record. Yeah. Right. But I do, but I do remember getting it and I remember putting it on and just, just saying it, it's like a truck hitting you. It's so heavy. No, it really was. And so, yeah, you mentioned facelift that came out like our senior year, of yeah. high school or the summer before maybe you know man in the box was huge you know big hit for them i'd say and then we saw them live we saw them open for van halen correct correct and that was it was actually pretty cool because i heard sammy talking about how he really got the whole grunge thing he knew that was going to be the next big thing and so including them on the tour was like hey we're cool we know these guys uh, you know, yeah, we're promoting is that what it was? Because looking back now, that doesn't make any sense, uh, you know, at all to me. I mean, Van Halen, I mean, can you imagine, you know, the people who were kids in 1984, but now they've got kids in 1992 or, you know, so it's like, oh, I really like that new standing on top of the world song. Uh, it makes me <laughs> makes me feel great. I don't even mind doing my taxes <laughs> after I hear that song. <laughs> 
No, you know, and that doesn't fit in with, you know, and I remember when we were at our show, I actually did see them twice because I saw them in Indy before I moved to Orlando with you. There's a couple of kids because we had upper level. We didn't have the best seats in the whole world, but we had right. upper level seats. And we looked right down on the bands from the side. And there were a couple of kids a few rows down in front of us. And I say kids, we were 18, but they looked like they were just as young and younger and they were really rocking out to Alice and Chase. Well, you know, mm -hmm. most of the, you know, the, this, the middle-aged white people there sitting there. All right, where's Van Halen? Just kind of just, you know, tapping their chin or whatever. These kids were like, yeah, that's why we're here. Woo! And they were all getting down and into it. And they were great live. I remember they pulled off their stuff really well. They came out basically naked and did the 5150 dance around the Van Halen guys. And I, I don't know. Right. I just thought these guys, are these guys really fit in on this? I'm not so sure about that. They're good. They're their own thing, but I didn't think they fit with Van Halen very well at all. I was excited. I was excited to see them. You're, you're right. I they 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 did seem a lot heavier, but then you know you can't always have the the two bands that that go perfectly together um, as an opening act because I know it's part the record company too. Like they want you to push whoever the new person is off of your sure. fame. But uh, I was pleasantly surprised because I've sat through some bands that I it, opening bands that I didn't really want to. So mm -hmm. super excited about that. That's true. And so that was that's our impression. They have one album. You have it. One pretty big song. It's like, OK, yeah. And then they're supposed to be opening for Metallica on part of the Black Album Tour, which we mm -hmm. did see. And uh, well, they had to they had to stop or they did not do that. Uh, because of Lane's and I think Mike Starr, the bassist, drug usage, namely heroin, uh, which is what so much of the album is about. They say, well, it's only really about Junkhead and Godsmack. And I'm like, no, look, man, <laughs> it informs everything he says and feels on this whole thing. It's already his whole world. And it's like, it is so ugly inside the head of someone who's going through that, man. And the way he sings it, and the way those two kind of harmonize together, it sounds evil. It's It's got some nasty stuff. I, I mean, I stay away from heroin is all I, I, I was going to say. say <laughs> probably now is the PSA time. Yes. Do not. do It never, ever, ever ends well for you. It's do, just. Do not do because, heroin. Because I guess the problem is that uh, apparently, I, I don't have any firsthand knowledge of this, but you're only trying to get high for the first little while. Then after that, you're just trying not to get sick. It's just horrible. It is a horrible thing. It's a horrible world to get dragged into. And I think this record does a pretty good job of showing you what that's like. Like, you want to take this ride? This is what you're going to get. Yeah. No, horrible. Of course, we research our shows, folks. Uh, and, and But we're not going into the research <laughs> to actually do heroin. <laughs> but so I researched a little bit about it. And I just, you know, obviously research what we know about Lane Staley's struggle and battle with heroin mm. and i was more interested in why he was doing heroin besides that okay. it just gets you high right because usually people who do heroin they've they've gone through some kind of real trauma in their life you know maybe some childhood trauma which i don't really like to talk about but that's nasty stuff that can really screw people up obviously you know uh people who've been through wars or been you know abused whatever that kind of stuff so that was always my question and i don't know that anything that like that really happened to like keith richards you know who did a lot of heroin or jimmy page i don't think had any kind of big hard horrible traumas in their childhood or anything like that so obviously it might not be the case right but that said 
in looking into Vane's past, it looked like some pretty screwed up things happened to him, and then he did them to himself, and then he's very, I don't know, I wouldn't say eloquent in the way he says it, but there is a bit of poetry to what he says, given all the pain that he's in. Yeah, and, and if you if you really listen to what he's saying, you can you can you can feel what he's going through because there are parts of it where they kind of glorify it. And then there are parts when they tell you this, this is, this is the reality of the situation. Uh, And the reality is don't do heroin. Okay. Because yeah, Lane Staley died of his heroin in in 2002. I guess it was, I didn't realize he'd lived that long because I didn't, I didn't either. I thought it was, I thought it was very, I didn't think he made it to the 2000s. I didn't either. If you would have asked me before we started research this, when did Lane Staley die? I just said 1998, you know, I I honestly didn't know. And he did a little bit of, you know, a couple of little things uh, after his time in Alice in Chains. And this is this is really the, the high point for Alice in Chains, right? They mm-hmm. they had their big success with their debut album. They did a big tour with Van Halen and some other big bands. They're getting nominated for Grammys and things like that. They put this album out. It's got five singles. They sell five or six million copies of the album. They sell more than six million singles. They, they, you know, I mean, we're talking about multiple platinum singles on this album. So they're they're huge. And I guess the weight started to collapse. I mean, they started to tour down. They wouldn't do. They wouldn't tour with Kiss. They wouldn't tour with Metallica. They wouldn't tour. Period. Like we can't take Lane out, Mike Starr either, for that matter. And they got Mike Inez in eventually to do the big MTV unplugged. I mean, I think you have to admit that Alice in Chains did one of the most memorable MTV unplugs that yes. was done. You know? Yeah, I, I think you, I mean you could maybe say Nirvana also. I'm not a huge Nirvana fan, but yeah, that that was huge, and you could really tell. I, I watched a little bit, a couple of clips for the show. He's he's not in a great he's not in great shape in that show. He sounds great. He doesn't mm. look great. He looks yeah. like he's wasting away. And he hadn't been in public or been doing interviews for like a couple of years at that point, right? Since I think so. Since yeah, a jar of flies came out or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and then it was like that. Oh. Uh oh, he didn't look so good. Yeah, like they literally hadn't played together in more than two years, uh, and so yeah, he was he was not in good shape, and that was kind of his farewell in a way. Mm. Uh, was MTV unplugged? Uh, but no, it, it, soon after that, his girlfriend Demry, who I guess was a model and a uh, and a hanger on, and and she had died of of heroin, and there's a little back and forth. She got him into it, he got her into it. It doesn't really matter, you know. Once you're into it, it's it's a losing proposition. And I think when she died, he blamed himself. He, you know, that's even more fuel mm-hmm. on the, I yeah. hate myself. I'm a terrible person fire. Uh, and that he couldn't stand himself anymore. And you could, we'll get in some lyrics here about uh, what he sees himself becoming and who he is and how he hates that worse than what he hated before. And Ooh, ugly, nasty stuff. But yeah, no, it's a vicious, definitely a vicious circle. But I mean, I didn't realize, and of course we wouldn't have at the time that, you know, his his father left him when he was very young, and obviously that can screw up a lot of people, especially young men. And I guess his father was a junkie, and he came back into his life once he was famous so he could score drugs off of him, you know, <laughs> uh, and so not a great guy. And then, But then I, I read something, I can't verify this is true or not, but I read something that his stepfather molested him. Awesome. You know? You know, so yeah, I mean that that'll ruin a person, and so you've got daddy issues because uh, the daddy who you always wanted ran off. You you never know why. You always think it'll be great if you get together, 
the guy who's supposed to be your new dad, he does the worst thing imaginable to you. But then you, oh, okay, yeah, I did find my real dad. Yeah, no, he's a terrible piece of shit. <laughs> uh, and so am I. Oh, Jesus. Uh, so I'm like, yep, that's what this album is built upon, folks. There's the foundation, okay? Seriously, dude, after I listened to this, because I, I always listen to it a couple times, I listened to this a couple times, I had to put on some ABBA. Just to like make me feel better again. Just like, see, is there a sunshine out there? Kind of thing, dude. This is it's because it's it's almost an hour long. It's and it's not like there's a ballad, you know, like you might get on a heavy metal album. I mean, this is just all down, dirty, grungy, unhappy death. Now, can you imagine doing this record and then being on buses and planes and just away from everything for, you know, a year at a time or whatever, and just singing these songs over and over and over <sighs> again? I'm sure that just didn't help the situation. There was a the, the, one of the guys from the Screaming Trees, I guess, was with them a mm -hmm. little bit in Europe, and he was just telling this horrendous story about how when you go from country to country, they were going to search you not only for drugs, but for paraphernalia. Mm -hmm. And I guess they were loath to snort heroin because I guess that's just not the same. It's it, it just as big a high, right? Yeah. So you're basically wasting it. So they have like this one needle that like three of them were sharing and they had, they had a little hidey hole in the bus. And he was saying that after a while it wasn't even sharp anymore. So they would like scratch it on a matchbook ah! and you had to like go and get like some kind of citric acid. Or if you were, if you were in dire straits, you could find like a lemon, even though that could really mess you up to cut it down. And ah. just this never ending. Cause either you're, either you're high or you're trying to, or you're trying to get more drugs to get high again. And that's the thing, you know, you get to a new country. Who do we know? You know, we got a score. We got to do right. this now. And, Oh my God. And then you got the rest of the band. Like, dude, we got this giant show to play and all you're thinking about is how to score. And then you're screwed up and now you can't play for the show. And yeah, just unbelievable. No. And they, like the Metallica show we saw, they could have never kept up with Metallica for any period of time. No. I mean, no way in the most expletive laden 30 seconds I've ever heard in my life. Metallica came on in a video before the show and basically said the F word every third or fourth word, you know, hey, what the fuck is fucking up, fuckers? <laughs> uh, you know, seriously, it's like, our moms are not here to tell us no, we're going to talk any damn way we want. And like, uh, you know, Allison fucking changed the fucking band a little fucking world is fucking heavy enough to fucking open for us. But they're in fucking Europe. And then they proceeded to come out and play for three and a half hours and just kicked our ass, which was awesome. But I mean, I, Alice in Chains could never have done months and months on the road with Metallica. Not the way that Lane, not the shape that Lane Staley was in. Sonically, no. if he was in good shape, I'm sure they could have, but not not the way that he lived his life. Yeah. And and I think, like I said, I think the touring life just, it, it's already tough. And then you throw that in and it's impossible. And I can't even imagine what it's like for the rest of the guys in the band. You know, they've got something. And I, and I understand not everybody was... Not everybody was an angel there. I think Cantrell had his own problems with drugs and alcohol. Yep. Um, but yeah, to have that wild card of you just don't know what you're going to get. Is he going to show up? Mm -hmm. If he does, can he play? If he can play, is it going to be any? If it's, you know, is it going to be any good? You don't 
don't know. So that's an extra stress because I'm sure you've got the, you know, you've got the tour people and the record companies saying, you know, what are you guys doing? You promised us this big tour and now you're flaking on it. Mm-hmm. No, so it's, it, no, so that's, that's the world, right? That's the world of mm-hmm. Allison Chains. They're getting nominated for Grammys. They, they've got big budget videos, five of them on this album. So let, let's get through this because this is going to be, ugh, this is going to be hard. All right. Well, one, one thing I wanted to bring up real quick because it doesn't mean anything, but it's just an insane coincidence that apparently they got to LA. And on the second day, setting up the sound and everything, it was the L.A. riots. Rodney King started that day. Correct. So they had to like basically they just left. And I think they went to like Joshua Tree for a week or something because like this place is just so right off the bat, this thing started with chaos. Right. Yeah. Riots and looting, (laughs) fighting, (laughs) sirens and fires and. Yep. That's you know, that's your studio. That's the safe (laughs) world around you. Hi, I'm Paul Stevenson from Vintage Rock Pod, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London. No, right. who who was the producer? What was his name? Dave Jordan. Okay. Dave Jordan. He and I guess he worked with them on on their first two. Yes, correct. He he was always trying to get Lane to clean up, and it wasn't like he was being you know, like a good friend or even trying to be a father or anything. He's just like trying to get him to make a good record. It's like, look, if you just clean up while we're in here, you mm-hmm. know, we can get good work done. But I think Lane always took it as, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to change. Yeah. You're trying, you're, trying, you're trying to tell me what to do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You open up with them bones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty big hit mm-hmm. for them. But I mean, listen to the way it starts, man. The screaming, ah! I mean, you could yeah. you could hear some wailing and pain. Like it's heavy, heavy riff. And it's it's that it's that like I don't even know how to describe the vocals, but like that chugging, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it's just yeah. It's I've it's got that in my notes, dude. It's ah, chug, 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 chug. Yeah, chug, yeah, chug. yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's just it's it's like getting hit by a two by four right off the bat. Like they don't ease you into this at all. It's just right, right from off the jump, of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and no, it's yeah, short. It, it's a nice kind of hit you in the face, punch yeah. in the mouth opener. It's two and a half minutes long, but it's heavy as shit. Right, right, and and the the guitar solo in it is it's not fast, but it's 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 powerful, and it's just a, yeah, it's a great opening track. And I think that it wasn't, was this the first single off the record? So, okay. Technically wood was the first single off it because it was on the single soundtrack, but yes, this is, the first single, you know, the new once one, the right? record yeah. dropped, yeah, exactly, yeah. Because I remember when it did, it was on. They, I mean, on the on the stations we listened to, this was on every third, you know, rotation. They played the crap out of this song. Yeah, no, and that's what I, I mean. Look in the Wood video, which is the last song, but it was the first video. You know, they looked very grungy in that. You know, they they were definitely kind of very much still in their Seattle days. Yeah, I feel like. This is now like the first video for the record company on the big follow-up to facelift. Mm-hmm. It's heavy as hell, you know, and and they put some money into it, and they look more like rock stars than they do like right. grungers, right? I mean, they all they don't. Staley doesn't look awful at this point. They all look young. They, you know, mm-hmm. Kenny and Cantrell look like rock stars. I mean, they still do for the most part. And it's you know this is a Cantrell right about how you know what they will just be bones so let's you know correct let's make the most of it but you know the video is animals killing each other and 
and they're literally down in a hole, which we'll talk about down in a hole for the video shoot. I mean, great opener comes up, punches you in the face, mm. million seller, yep. million million silly selling singles. So it, they'll always be remembered for this one, I guess. It, yeah, it definitely, you know, for being the first track, it definitely catches you as soon as it starts. And, you know, you know, you know, you're in for something different on this one, especially for, from the first record. You knew they were hard on the first record. This was this was going to be a brutal ride. And, and here here it is starting off. And well, it doesn't change much. Damn that river. The next song. I, yep. I, I like this one. It's 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 very heavy and it's got a little meat to it. I just like it. But I mean, the lyrics. Holy mackerel, man. <laughs> I think it was it, what I read was that it had something to do with a fight between Cantrell and Kenny and somebody mm-hmm. ended up breaking a coffee table or whatever. And, you know, you get that again, you spend that much time with someone, things are going to get messy from time to time. Like you can't, you can't have four, I mean, I guess they were what early twenties. I mean, they're not yeah. that much older than we are. Right, um, guys hanging around each other, and you know, things just get out of control. Sure. Um, what I liked about this one was the the, and I don't even know what you would call, it, but that freaky harmonization that Cantrell and Staley will do. It, it sounds like one person, but it's not. It's really the two of them. Right. Yeah. And it's it's kind of their signature. Sound. It is. It, it is, and I. It's a. It's. I think it's really. Like you say, it's their signature sound. It really is what makes them different. I think mm-hmm. it's also Cantrell's distorted guitar work and, and songwriting as well. But you're right. And sometimes Cantrell's singing and you think, well, how did how did Lane get his voice, you know, to sound like that? It's like it's not him yet. You know, eventually he joins and then right. he takes off. Correct. But see, after the first and uh, on uh, them bones, he did a melodic solo. Cantrell, a pretty mm-hmm. nice melodic solo, and he did some nice fret work on that. Where this is not really shredding or anything like that. It's just kind of what it needs to be. It's another very short song. It's barely over three minutes, but it's it's plotty, dude. It's it's got a little Aerosmith, but nastier than that yeah and and the, the riff is a little this could have been a they could have opened with this one too just the way that it sounds it's got a real upbeat tempo to it a lot even though it's heavy it's a it's more upbeat than than bones i'll i'll, I'll give you that yeah no, that's that's i think the aerosmith mm-hmm. piece that i was having a hard time yeah explaining <laughs> with my limited vocabulary battle <laughs> brain all right so a little bit of a gear shift on Rain When I Die, because this is more slow plotting Sabbathy to start mm-hmm. with that very distorted guitar. And here's your harmony lead vocals you're talking yep. about here, Jackson. Mm-hmm. To their mm-hmm. girlfriends, to both yeah. of their girlfriends. It has to be. I mean, it's just just this will this one will cut you pretty deep. I mean, when you listen to what he's saying too. You know, talking about, is she ready to know my frustration? What's she slipping inside? Slow castration. I'm a riddle so strong, you can't break me. So it's like, yeah, it's it's you're having this relationship with this woman who you're trying to connect with, but maybe you won't let her, maybe she won't, you know, let you in. And it's just, and and that that base at the beginning, you just know this, this is, like you said, it's a gear shift. This gets really heavy. Mm-hmm. Very heavy. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's going to rain when I die. So, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to break up. It's going to happen. Here's the reason. I'm shut off because I've had these horrible traumatic things happen to me that I'm not talking about. I'm just going to fix. 
and make it go away for a little while, and that's not gonna that's not gonna help our relationship much. It's not gonna help our communication. <laughs> at the end of the day, I thought this was, it was a little long. After a while, it's a six minute song, but uh, yeah, it is. It, it, it this is kind of one of those ones where it's like, oh, it's still on. Okay, well, I guess we'll go for one more refrain then. Yeah. Yes. To go from what is it two thirty three oh nine to six oh one? Yeah, that's a pretty big. That's that's basically two songs put together. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know. Now moving on. To down in a hole. Yes, you're. You were complaining that there was no ballads on it. This is a very <laughs> nice ballad. It it's starts a, off so nice. It it it, it does because it has a little acoustic guitar, mm-hmm. which automatically makes it a, a bit of a ballad. Correct. This was the fifth single off the mm-hmm. record, fifth of five, fifth video too, and it is my favorite on the album. Okay. It might be my favorite Alice in Chains song. Okay. Of all time. Okay. How do you feel about Down in a Hole? I, I, I like it a lot. Like I said, if you didn't know what you were doing, if you didn't know what you were getting yourself into, you would say, oh, this is a very nice, here we go. This is where we, we kind of bring things up a little bit, you know, a little, and then, nope. We're, now we're talking about, you know, Down in a Hole, and it just, it gets it gets nasty on you in that first refrain. Yeah. I, yeah. And there's great harmonies, you mm-hmm. know, this time. Yeah, every everyone goes down sometimes, but I mean, this is got to be close to the bottom, right? I mean, this is you know, <laughs> rough, rough, rough. And is he singing to the drug? Is he singing to his father? Mm-hmm. Bury me softly in this world. I get this part of me from you. All I want to be inside of you. You know, it's I don't know exactly what it all means, but I know he's in some kind of pain. I don't know. Here's the thing about it. We all have our bouts and self-doubt, and sometimes we get a little down, some of us more than others. Yeah. And I hope everyone gets help or asks for it, you know, but the thing is, there's still something a little uplifting about it when he said, I'd like to fly, and they go back mm-hmm. to the major chords. Yeah. And I know at the end, well, but, you know, I've been, my wings have been so denied, it's a little bit of a bummer, but that I'd like to fly is still makes it to me in the end an uplifting song, even though mm-hmm. it's nasty horrible it's called down in a hole for a reason <laughs> i just think it all comes together the riffs and the way that staley emotes with his voice on this one this is this is best in class i think for them yeah and and what i what i always got bent out of shape with at this point in time was i mean basically the darlings of this were nirvana right they they were the face of grunge they and then i think pearl jam was a second but i always thought i always thought lane had a great rock and roll voice i thought they wrote great riffs but i always thought people kind of in the music industry mm-hmm. did not give this band enough credit for being as great as they were i don't know though i mean they did get nominated for like six grammys or something mm-hmm. like that and i think they won one at some point sold a ton of records i mean obviously they they could see that with what we're hearing, you know, is that Staley does have something about him and he and Cantrell together have this haunting harmony mm-hmm. chemistry that uh, that's when, you know, and look, they quit. They didn't play for the longest time. Allison Chains was basically defunct from 1990, late 96 to, to after Staley's death. Mm-hmm. They jumped back in to do kind of a tribute to him. And then they decided, okay, we're going to reform because, you know, lots of people lose Band sure. members, you know, we can go on. And so Sean Kinney and the surviving members, Sean Kinney and Jerry Cantrell, continue to this day. But another point I wanted to make on this one, because we're, we're kind of going out of the order of the videos. The first video would yeah. 
The second them bones, well produced. Uh, he's got the slick back hair, right? The good mm-hmm. rock star look going yeah. there. Angry chair, kind of more the same rooster. It's a little bit longer. He's changed. It was I'm sorry, rooster. He had he had shaggy, shaggy hair, like yeah, he had yeah, grown out yeah, and all that kind right. of stuff. But then down in a hole now, it was like very closely tripped, right? So he went from like grungy, dirty to like slick back rock star, to like long and a little unkempt to like very and you know all within a year, I guess. That's part of being a rock star, though. I guess is having different right. styles. And he had those. He had those. Those cool bug sunglasses, those giant round ones that yeah, that he he looked like a rock star uh, with those on and the slick back hair. And I think they had they were in, they were more. I always thought they were a little more rocker too, as far as like I think they were wearing leather instead of like uh, you know the flannel shirts like everybody else had. Well, yeah, I kind of I think it kind of depends on when you caught their videos, but yeah, they they did cultivate more of a rock image than a grunge image. Look, I, a lot of people just because they were from Seattle kind of got thrown in, lumped in mm. as grunge, and, and maybe some gen, genuinely were. But I mean, Pearl Jam wasn't really a grunge band. You know, they're they're a rock and roll band. They're a hard yeah. rock band. Nirvana, yeah. I mean, sure, they define the term, I guess. People like Mud Honey are they grunge? I, I you know I don't I don't nah, you know yeah. There's some I punk think, bands from there. I mean they just got a lot of music going on up there, right? They, scene. They needed they needed something to sell easily. You know you could grab a band. Oh, you're from Seattle, obviously. You know you have some kind of rock influence. And you, that's grunge. Boom, throw it in there and you know they sell a couple of records. Um, there were a couple of bands there that I think Mud Honey was one of them, and the Screaming Trees I think were another one that people from Seattle like these guys. I can't believe these guys aren't bigger, but I think they just didn't have the they didn't have the hits. Right? Yeah, uh, no, no. But but it's also like I I think that Allison Chains were kind of seen as one of the cream of the crop, certainly by those in the know, because Nancy Will or Ann Wilson from Art, you know, had worked on something with them, and mm-hmm. Chris Cornell of Soundgarden and Audio Slave fame, you know, would. would work with them and stuff like that so uh, they obviously saw these guys were legit they had they were setting a bar you know i think they were all those bands were kind of setting a bar for each other kind of along the way picking stuff up and and showing stuff off hi i'm deborah bonham and i am the irish werewolf in england peter bullock (laughs) and you're listening to the ugly american werewolf in london Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. But anyway, that was a nice that was a nice sidestep from talking about heroin and mm-hmm. self-hatred and stuff like that which is what our next song sick man is all about correct and th- this one this one i like because it's it's frantic at the beginning and that's what um, i put you know, a little frantic at first oh, well there you have it then we are we are <laughs> we are thousands of miles away and yet we are right there man it's unbelievable right After all these years it's frightening yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. But but it just it it goes to it, it's it's showing you how that's that's the reality of the situation is your you have this problem, you have this addiction, and it's you're trying not to get sick. You're trying to, you know, you wish you could get away from this thing, but you can't. It just it it just takes a hold of your entire life. And this it's just I because you see in interviews where Lane would say it, it really shocks me and, and upsets me that I have fans coming up to me, giving me a thumbs up, like, hey, man, you know, I'm high. You know, I, I'm, I'm on heroin, you know, listen to yeah. your stuff. He's like, no, I, if you listen to this song, why in the world would you think it's a good idea? You know, you get that frantic thing, you know, at the beginning, charging beat, and then it's, ah, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. slow prodding part is, is very, it's kind of hard to listen to. And obviously they do it a couple of times. There's the big middle slowdown where you have like people talking around him and mm -hmm. laughing in the background. Which you know, this is something the drug addict who's just thinking about dope and everything around him is just noise, whatever. Yeah. It's not my dope kind of thing. And then it's back to the chug, and then it's back to another round of ah, I'm like this is <laughs> this is so hard to listen to. I would have fast forwarded to that because there's 13 yeah. tracks on here. I, I bet yeah. we would after a few minutes be like, okay, what's next? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, at what is it, 57, 37? Yeah, it's a long, it's a big commitment. And a lot of these songs, it well, not a lot, but you kind of get in the middle section of this. And yeah, they're just they're just brutal. And they were not, let's see, boo, Rooster was a big single, but there were like, you know, you get into junkhead, dirt, godsmack. They're they weren't big hits, so you kind of have to, you know, pick your poison on that one as far as if you were gonna skip one. No, so yeah, you skip that and get to Rooster. Mm -hmm. And Rooster was a big hit, you know. Uh it was their fourth single, and Jerry Cantrell wrote it about his father, uh, mm -hmm. whose nickname is Rooster. It's about surviving Vietnam, and they had him in the video and stuff like that. Heavy, heavy song. But, I mean, two million singles. Two million singles sold on this one. So, And it's over six minutes long, you know, so it's not like, oh, it's just a nice, cute little four-minute. No, it's it's got a lot of wah-wah-wah in it. It's got a lot of distortion in it. And Lane's not too much in the video. He doesn't have his hair slicked back. It's kind of popped out, like I mentioned. But... This is this was huge for them. This is a huge, huge, huge song for them. And and the what I was thinking about for this track is that it doesn't really fit in with the rest of them. It doesn't have anything to do with the guys. It doesn't have anything to do with you know drug addiction or anything else. But it totally fits in totally. because it's this it's this guy who and and you can what once you figured out what it was because I think they at the time they they kind of talked up the thought for you know how they wrote this, but you really get that feeling of being this guy this you know person a million miles away you're in this jungle people are trying to kill you every single day yeah. you know am I going to make it through this you know am I going to see my family again and it's it, you know it, it fits in with this whole like you know desperation. But then also kind of like you can't you can't give up, you know, it could because you're not going to make it if you do. Right. And then, you know, but Jerry's singing from the side of, hey, how come my dad doesn't want to play with me or, or can't relate to me? Or, you know, he's mm -hmm. listening when I say I really want an Atari because all my friends have one. And, you know, he's old man. He's not, still there. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's not saying anything to him because like because I just closed my eyes and I saw my buddy Jimmy's face blown off his head and, you know, Hector's guts all over his body over here trying to crawl through the mud. And I'm like, sorry, kid. you know, uh, he didn't see that, you know, side of it. They didn't see each other's side. They just couldn't talk about it, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, talking about you, you, at the beginning, we were talking about Lane Staley and his father uh, and then stepfather. You know, this was, this was Cantrell's father. But yeah, how do you deal with that? Like, yeah, he's here. And he came back from the war, but yeah, I can't really relate to him all the time. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't 
it wasn't horrible all the time, but yeah, having that in and out, you know, maybe do you think that's your fault also as a kid? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, look, it's yeah, tough, tough stuff for everybody to get over for the kid, for the ex-soldier, mm-hmm. for the drug addict. Everything's hard for the drug addict. So let's let's move on to something happier than Rooster. Mm-hmm. Junkhead. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Now this one, this one actually is a little bit of a change of pace because this is this is written from the snarky a-hole. You know, <laughs> you're just getting into drugs. You know, I'll do anything, whatever. I don't care. I'm I'm bulletproof. I I want a party. I'm here to to have a good time. And I think this was the one where where Staley. Mm-hmm. really regretted it because this one kind of are you saying it's cool to get high or what's going on here with this one yeah musically it's another plotting sabbathy start it's slow and it's mm-hmm. evil nothing better than a dealer who's high i'm like Ugh. yeah <laughs> i i do want to give compliments to sean kinney here and, and a little mike star too i, I think especially from the middle to the end, I think feel like the drums and the bass really kind of stand mm-hmm. out. They they do a good song, a good jam, a good distorted jam, you know. But yeah, I mean it's it's about being wasted, about being a junkhead, and what's the point of that? Uh <laughs> you know, and, and like you say, after this is dirt, after this god smack, and then the, the odd kind of iron gland or before you get to uh to hate to feel. Another not a big <laughs> not a big single either but obviously hate to feel so i mean you, you this is a run man after rooster junkhead dirt godsmack that intro song hate to feel mm-hmm. nothing happy happens here yeah. and it's it's not radio worthy so it's not like the the riffs are so awesome i don't know i mean like mine you know my thing for dirt is basically the same it's about the same length as junkhead it's more of the same slow plotting you know it's almost hard to discern one track from the next you know and then it's Mm -hmm. want you to kill me take me under don't want to live no more one who doesn't care is one who shouldn't be oh my lord Come yeah. on. Yes, it, this is this is where it gets really brutal. Um, not that it wasn't before, but now we're really getting down into it. But yeah, talking about wanting to die, just just put me in the hole, and that this is it. And I mean, again, imagine having to deal with this person on a day to day basis. Like you want you want them to get better, but then there's the whole thing of you know, are you more creative when you? When you are in this state, I don't know. And then you get to the point maybe where it's not my problem. Like you need to take care of your own stuff. It's just, it's just, it's a hard, it's a hard life to live. And especially being tied to someone like this. I mean, no offense, but like you could, like they got rid of Mike Starr and got Mike Inez to play mm-hmm. the bass. You probably didn't even know that was swapped out. You would have definitely noticed if Staley wasn't there. That's right. That's right. And and like Cantrell does all the music for the most part, but Staley co-wrote co-writes a lot of these things and he and soon will be into the ones that he wrote on his own. But you know, then you go to Godsmack, obviously he's talking about heroin is God. I don't know. It is back to heavy on this, but his quivering voice is mm-hmm. scary more than anything. Like it's not like he's saying God's pack is great. It's like, be afraid yes. of what you can't see, you know, little kids. And then singing straight might be Jerry for him. Could be, yeah. It's a little hard to hear the song. It's also very just, don't do heroin. I don't know how many times I have to say it. <laughs> I mean, I think it was, I think it's interesting that this, this song was so impressive that it actually spawned an entire band. Uh, Godsmack, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where they got this from. They were that... 
they were that impressed by this record and this track. Who I saw open for Metallica once, I think on yeah. Death Magnetic. Are they the ones who did, I'm not the one who's so far away? I believe, yes. <laughs> I hate that song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm not a big fan. You know, So, yeah, well, I'm not a fan of the song, I'm not a fan of the band. Some, some great drums, I'll say, from Kenny on this one, and some psychedelic guitar from Jerry. But can we move on, please? Yes. You, we can, absolutely. <laughs> to uh, intro or dream sequence, Iron Gland. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes it's unlisted. Mm-hmm. It's 43 mm-hmm. seconds of an odd thing with some noise on it with Tom Araya from Slayer. Correct. And Long. apparently, yeah, apparently this was something that, he, that Cantrell used to just mess with, and he would just annoy the ever-living bejesus out of everybody because he'd play it all the time and they were like you can't and i think they used they used to use it to open the song before the band came on mm-hmm. uh on the shows they they play oh, it I over see. like on a track but yeah i think this was just something he would mess with to just piss everybody off well thank god it's only 43 seconds it's, <laughs> it's not something you would choose to listen to <laughs> <laughs> I would hope if you would buy the other 12 songs on something like an iTunes, they would just throw that one in. You shouldn't have to pay 99 cents for that. <laughs> uh, but now we get into the two Lane Staley solo rights mm-hmm. on the album. So you know they're going to be uplifting. Correct. Um, hate to feel an angry chair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I put Lane wrote this, obviously. It's, <laughs> it's slow and plotting again. And it has this kind of start-stop thing is, what the hell? Well, yeah. it's say, you know, eventually it does build to more of a rocker. I still find it all very hard to listen to. Yeah, and, and, and it's interesting because these are the two. Let me see. What else has he got on here? One, two, three, four. So, so Sick Man, Junkhead, Dirt, and Godsmack are all credited to, and Rain When I Die are all credited to Staley in some form or another, but yeah, these are the two that he wrote himself. I'm interested to know how much of this, like, did he come start to finish with this? Apparently he played the guitars on it also, at least the, the riff part. And I think uh, Cantrell was very pleased that he was bringing some, you know, some really decent stuff, even though it's written by him, it still fits in with the rest of the tracks on here. Yeah. No, and why wouldn't you want a writing partner, especially one that can emote the way Lane Staley can, right? So yeah. you put together some songs, all the weight isn't on you. That's nice. Is it maybe the best lyrics on the album? I don't know. It's uh, a real distorted solo from Jerry that I like. It's still, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's so tough to listen to. I would have skipped it too. I would have skipped probably five, these five songs in a row between not just playing the uh, as you would sometimes, not just like listening to the hits and then moving on. Mm-hmm. But between Rooster and Angry Chair, skipping all that in the days of CDs. Okay, yeah, I mean, I could, I could see again, like you said, this was this was a big commitment time wise. When you get into a sequence where you don't have a a single in there, and the songs they don't sound the same, but they sound similar. So, you know, you kind of, yeah, I could see how, yes, you could skip a couple here and still be okay. Well, it's just the mood it's creating, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you feel bad, what do you do? You put on sad music? No, you put on something good. You get up, you get moving, you know, you go hiking, you go out and do your thing, ride your bike. 
put on the happy music. If you listen to that, well, yeah, of course you're going to feel bad. I mean, yeah. once in a while you want to hear this song. Oh, this is a really good song. This is the way they do this. That's great. But to listen to the whole album, it's like, ugh. <laughs> you know, life can't be that horrible. But I mean, look, if it is and this helps, great. Yeah. It's just, I, I think it's doing the opposite to me. I think it's making me feel bad. But, but you never know. If somebody is in a situation like this, you can think, you can say to yourself, okay, I know somebody else is going through this also. And yeah. maybe, maybe that can help you. But yeah, if you're not, this is going to bring you down pretty quick. Absolutely. All right. So we get to Angry Chair, mm-hmm. which is the third single, the other Lane Staley solo right. Yeah. This is more of an artsy video. Uh, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah. Because he was in the chair in the video. And what does that mean? Yeah. And then and then they were burning the chair when he wasn't there. And they had the snake like crawling all over him and stuff. And uh, <laughs> The chorus has a decent melody, but it's, you know, I don't mind the end, lost my mind. Yeah, I can't find it anywhere. It's it's so negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the videos kind of barely got the other guys in it. I don't know, man. I know it was a big hit for them. I think it was a million seller for them. The I think, alone. too, do you have a list of when these came out? I think this was kind of on the back end, right? As far as singles, Angry Chair was third of five. Third of five. Okay, I just I remember I remember it coming out, and I remember I didn't like the video because I thought it was just kind of it was kind of dumb. But and I wonder too, like how much of that was the band? Like, do you get there and they're like, oh, we've got this, you know, artistic vision, and they're like, okay, fine, just do whatever. We don't even care. The fact that the rest of the band isn't in it a whole lot would signal to me like maybe they just weren't feeling it. They're like, yeah, just do the burning chair, and we'll see you after lunch. Well, and I think they had a different director on all five videos, which which means there's no kind of consistency between right. any. Not that you need that, but you know, it, Wood was Cameron Crowe, and obviously at the end was trying to kind of push his video. Them Bones was kind of very slick, ready for MTV. And Angry Chair, too. I mean, look, obviously they're going to have two singles off of a big album follow up to Facelift. Them Bones is first, very well produced. Angry Chair. They decide that's the second best new song besides Wood. If, if Wood was already out, let's just say, it's separate from the album, even though it's on the album. So Angry Chair comes second. They make an artsy video. Then what? You do Rooster, right? Well, we got to go out and film with Cantrell's dad and you know do all that. They had all this kind of stuff lined up. I feel like Down in the Hole was the one that they kind of said, you know what we could do? <laughs> we could do one for Down in the Hole, you know? So because that's released almost a year later. Um after the the album's released, you know, it's it's the 29th of September, 1992. Down in the Hole's released August 30th, 1993. Wow. So, yep. and, but, and of course, you know, the wood was June 30th, 1992, because it came out way before the album. So that's, you know, that's like over a year, this thing selling millions of singles and millions mm-hmm. of copies of the album appealed to somebody. I mean, I, I know grunge was, was big. And after Nirvana's Nevermind came out, this was kind of one of the real next big ones. You know, right. it was a year after that, right? So yeah. This is what everybody, if you like that, this was the next thing a lot of people bought. Correct. Yeah, I think it was all of those. I mean, if you go back and look, um, so it was it was this one. It was Bad Motor Finger by a Soundgarden. You know, Pearl Jam had the uh, had the verses, which was ninety two. I think also all of those things. Yeah, if you if you were into this, you just bought them. Whatever the next one was, you mm-hmm. just grabbed it. Absolutely. And if you know, Fish is Wood, which was again, we you know, we talked about the first single, and you know that that bass opening bass is kind of mm-hmm. iconic now. I would say it's not a beat, but it, it has a drive to it that's a, it's a little bit different. That kind of makes it a little not of 
the record, and I, I think that's why maybe it's a single. I don't know. Cantrell is singing lead on some, and and it is important to note that I didn't realize this is, or I'd forgotten because I remember them saying this back in the day that this is about Andrew Wood of mm-hmm. Mother Love Bone who who died. died. Oh, that's right, an OD. Yeah. Oh, that's right. But that's okay. We're just going to go ahead and. And uh, yeah, we'll make a three and a half minute ditty out of it, and it'll sell right. two million copies. Well, I remember when this came out as part of the movie. I think this was the big single from the from the soundtrack. This was the one that they used to to sell the movie, and it was yeah, like you said, the the bass part was awesome. That intro, the the intro thing, because because I think that I heard it first before I saw the video. I'm like, that doesn't sound like Lane Staley. What's going on with this? And then you say, oh, wait, no, that's Cantrell singing the beginning. And then Staley comes in to do the chorus and the main vocal part. I really like this song. I think it's I think it was a great transition from the first record to this record. And the fact that it, it did have that tie in. I don't think I think it was the Mother Love Bone was one of those ones, too. Like that dude would have been a super huge star. So everybody said, had he not. OD'd. Yeah, maybe I should have OD'd. And then people say, wow, he would have been something special. Just, I mean, he could have Instead been of whatever he is now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, look, overall, what's your, what's your take on the record as far as its place in history and how you feel about it? I mean, I overall, I really like this record. I think it is, it's a real tough go to sit through almost an hour of it. I think it's one of those ones where you, you're probably better off kind of picking and choosing going through them because if you listen to all 13 tracks, like you just, you need a hug and a nap after this one. It's very heavy. It's very brutal when you listen to the lyrics. I mean, I like it. I think it's definitely of a time, you know, the kind of that early 90s angst mixed in with the drug addiction. I think it's a great record, but it's it's not a it's not an easy listen. You're not going to put this one on the car and just groove. No, you're not. Um, <laughs> what's interesting is actually the single soundtrack. Mm-hmm. The single soundtrack was a double platinum selling soundtrack and wood is the only single off of it. Now it's not the only great song off there. You know, you got state of love and trust by Pearl jam on there. You got a, a cool version mm-hmm. of uh, a battle of evermore done by uh, the love mongers on there. Paul Westberg's got a cool song on there. Chris Cornell's on there. He's in the movie too. Good stuff on there, but, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're selling everything at that point, right? Everything's selling the singles, yeah. the soundtracks they're on the jar of flies EP that followed this record went straight to number one in America, first EP to ever do that. And it went quadruple platinum, Mm -hmm. an EP, you know? So, I mean, it was obvious the record company was behind them and they were of a time and they definitely had some talent. And I remember it just because I remember the time in college when it came out and it was part of this scene of grunge and hard rock. I didn't really necessarily put it in either camp. We're hard rock guys, the Metallica's, the, the Guns N' Roses of the time, you know, the cult. That's the stuff we were into. This fit more in with that than it seemed to me than Nirvana, but it did also. And because they're from Seattle, they all kind of got lumped in together. I had not listened to this in a long time, and there's a reason. <laughs> this is kind of just a horrible, makes you feel bad, you know? Like I said, I put on some ABBA mm-hmm. after I listened to this just so I would be in a better mood. So I'm like, I understand this is a huge seller. It was kind of part of that time in our lives when we lived together, and there was so much change and cool stuff going on in music generally but nah re- revisiting this doesn't make me wish i'd seen them more 
I, he's kind of a badge of honor that we've seen that I've seen him, and I get a lot of street cred for that. Yeah. Um, even though at the time I did a, I didn't see them do a whole set, and B, I wasn't super jazzed to be seeing them. <laughs> I, I really think that that this was the kind of the music that we got to claim as our own. I mean, like we love the Rolling Stones and we love Led Zeppelin and ACDC, but that was all like that had all kind of right. come out before we uh, before we got involved with it this was this was happening like it was fresh these these albums were coming out the bands i know they were all they were all friendly with each other there was no like animosity but they were definitely they definitely wanted to outpace each other so yeah to have all of these things come out at the same time that was new that was that was kind of a special time and i always kind of have that that tie to it that this was this was stuff that i got to experience first right yeah right First album comes out when we're in high school. We get to see them live with Van Halen at the time. This comes out sophomore year. We, we know our routine. We know stuff comes out Tuesdays. We know the days we can go get the albums. I mean, ACDC right. Live came out not too far away. It came out our sophomore year. And I mean, I just mm-hmm. remember getting that was was so much bigger for me than than Dirt was. Dirt had some pop songs that were popular. But listening, and I'm an album guy, listening to the whole album, even though I would skip a lot back then just to hits, I would have to do it on this one, I feel like. Um, whereas, you know, ACDC Live, I just let it play. So, I, you know, right. I respect for Jerry Cantrell as a writer and a player and as a singer. His voice, mixed with Lane's, is unique. It's what makes them who they are. Mm-hmm. I've not really heard much about how is Allison Chains now live i've heard good things i mean i think you have to get over the fact that it's not right. lane staley okay we, we are not getting him he's not coming back it, it's a different guy his name escapes me right now but i've but i've heard it's actually not bad if you can get over that that it's not the original mm-hmm. band it's pretty good. all right well william duval is on lead vocals okay. he also plays a little guitar maynard james keenan did like the reunion thing in 2005 decided okay. he wasn't right or whatever and but it's been william duvall and it's been that way for 15 years so it's you know it, 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 there hasn't been huge lineup changes you know i mean there's basically been six men in the in the history of the band the two who aren't are dead <laughs> right so right. except for james Maynard james keenan who, who did that one tour so you can make that seven there they represent a, an important little piece No, 11 Grammy Award nominations. Jeez, I didn't know that. 30 million record sales worldwide, 14 million in the U.S. It wouldn't have surprised me if it was more than that, 20 million in the U.S. Because when I look at, you know, being the ugly American werewolf in London, we compare a lot about what hits in America in the U.S. versus what hits in the U.K., and it can be very different. And they didn't have huge success over in the UK, you know. I think Dirt went gold in Britain, maybe. Got to number 42. Okay. The next one uh, went silver. That's not great. <laughs> uh, so I don't think they really hit the charts. And, you know, that's the thing. Britpop was so huge. Like Oasis and Blur and Max Street Preachers. And that was big over in the UK at the time. Whereas, yeah, we're kind of either we're going the whole grunge thing. We were still going through a very classic rock phase because, you know, around that time, Jimmy Page and David Coverdale were putting out an album. Aerosmith were still back up on top of the world again, you know, and Kiss had revenge out. Guns N' Roses was still touring off Use Your Illusion. We were still very much in the classic rock days. Keith put out Main Offender. We were we, we were still digging mm-hmm. all that kind of old school music, incorporating some of the new. Because we, I, I avoided grunge. I still don't like grunge. I still don't like Nirvana. I'm one of the very few who did. Yeah, I think that I think you can pick 
I think that was kind of the, the other thing too, is like, if you like grunge, you had to like all of it. And that was never the case. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I never, I never got Nirvana. I was not, it just didn't resonate with me. Pearl Jam. I mean, I, I liked them. Okay. They to me, they were, they were not hard enough. Right. Soundgarden. I liked, but my favorite was Alice in Chains just because I liked I liked the, the riffs mm-hmm. that Cantrell laid down and, and Staley's voice was just so otherworldly what he could do. And apparently like, I mean, we saw him in concert and up until, all of the the three records mm-hmm. that they put out with him, I believe. Well, I guess the five with the the EPs. Like, I don't think he ever lost it. Like, he could still sing in concert in that range. And so to have that is just it, the sound that they put out to me. I, I it resonated with me. It was unique. Uh, it was it was very of a time. Yeah, and it came and it went basically. Right. I mm-hmm. mean, it's, uh, they made three records, two EPs or I guess technically three EPs, a landmark unplugged live album when I think double platinum in its own right. And that's, that's basically it. That's, that's it. That's the band. Yeah. Because I think, so if this came out in 92, when did that third record come out? Like no, it was 95. Yeah, no, it, 95. Jar of Flies was 95. 94. Okay. So that, yeah. So I think after that, I think by the, that third record, they were kind of, they were all on the outs. I think Staley was really messed up. The you know, you're talking about Brit Pop, Oasis was starting to rule the airwaves and the grunge had I mean, not that they didn't sell records. They were just not the darlings of FM airplay like they had been. Yeah, and I think that Nirvana did okay over there. I don't think all the grunge bands did well over in the UK. And then when Nirvana was gone, well, to a lot of people that meant grunge was gone too. But obviously, right. Pearl Jam has had a huge, long career. They can kind of do whatever they want. Eddie Vedder has been able to spin off to do all sorts of Eddie Vedder stuff. Mm-hmm. His own, the other guys have been able to do side projects over the years. That's not a grunge band. That's just a that's just a band from Seattle, man. <laughs> but this Alice in Chains, yeah, grunge, yeah, heavy metal, I think so. Mm-hmm. But, but two, I mean, doom metal. It's so... Yeah. Staley's voice is special I'll, I'll give it to him and the way he can use it to emote these nasty nasty things he sing about uh, i'm sorry he had to go through everything i'm sorry he lost his struggle and same with mike star and same yeah. with, same with everyone else who falls to that it just sounds like it was part of the scene back then unfortunately yeah i mean i mean like, like you talked about andrew wood you know uh, overdose and i'm sure there were there's a host of other people that we've never heard of before you know behind the scenes in that crowd yeah, it was just a big presence. And it just, it seems to me like once it grabs a hold of you, you're in a lot of trouble. I mean, some people do make it out, but it's not going to be easy. So like we said at the beginning, just stay away. Yeah, well, next time uh, we're going to review the Bee Gees, okay? We're going to do okay. something like Saturday Night Fever, something yes. happy. That will be a different kind of drug <laughs> that we're doing then. Yeah, that's right. A way better one. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's our uplifting story of Dirt by Allison Chains. Came out in September 29th, 1992, so it's 30th anniversary here. Jackson and I were in college trying to find what's the best best hard rock band, right? And Allison Chains fit the bill, right? They they were kind of from Seattle, so yes, they're grungy, but they had killer heavy riffs. This guy has an amazing voice. It's very Sabbathy. It fits the bill, right? But when you really dive in there, it's like it's all about heroin use and being let down by those who love you and 
hating yourself, not getting caught in this trap that is heroin. It's a cautionary tale, especially when you look back and see what happened to Lane Staley and Mike Starr, for that matter. Half of the founding members of the band died from heroin, and they weren't that old. You know, were they in their 30s? I think so. So it was a little bit tough for me to listen to all that. Not that I don't have my own bouts with depression and things like that. It's just when I was listening to that music, I was usually as, hey, listen how dirty and heavy this is. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, now put on Metallica. Dun, dun. Okay, now put on, you know, something like that. I couldn't listen to it now. I really couldn't because I have to listen to the album a few times to, to get into it for the show. But the third lesson, I'm like, oh, this is just not fun. This, these people are not in a healthy place and it's not something I can listen to all the time. Now, if you're having a hard time with drugs, alcohol, or just depression, please go out and get help. Okay, please ask somebody for help, be it a professional or someone you know, someone you trust. Get the help you need. People are willing to help you. You don't have to live like this. But if listening to this music helps you get through it, then by all means, listen to it. You know, and I know that listening to Metallica and stuff like that has helped me and Jackson through some tough times before, but it's usually uplifting at the end of the day. Or it's like, you know, hey, you're not alone. It's something bad. It's not like it's horrible and it's always going to be horrible and just stay horrible in this horrible place, which is what I was starting to get from listening to Alice in Chains. There's a reason I hadn't listened to it in decades. But stylistically, it is very heavy. Some great riffs from Jerry Cantrell, some good songwriting and delivery from he and Lane Staley. It was a point in time where they were kind of at the apex of this grunge, heavy rock thing. Uh, but it wasn't long after that when people kind of said, hey, I need something lighter. you know. And that's when Hootie and the Blowfish come along. And they're oh, light and happy. The Spin Doctors come along. Oh, yeah, that's happy stuff. Yeah, that's, that's none of that grunge stuff that kind of brings you down. And while the UK did not necessarily jump on board the Alice and Chains bandwagon, it's not like you didn't have your own heroin problems. Obi-Wan Kenobi's career started basically with train spotting in 1996, which wasn't so long after this. A little bit different take on the epidemic in UK versus the US, but obviously it's just kind of one of those things where in the US, we embraced it. Sounds great. In the UK, kind of like, yeah, obviously there's some fans, but didn't race up the charts, didn't get top 40. Didn't have huge sales. Huge part of their legacy, though. They'll always be remembered for this album. Absolutely, this is the one at their apex. MTV Unplugged 2, of course, but a lot of people did those. Not everybody made dirt. So, as usual, we want to know, folks, did we get to the right, did we get to the wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? You have got to let us know. You can email us, uglyamericanwerewolf at gmail.com, or you could tweet or DM us at Ugly underscore werewolf at actionjack72. Let us know the bands, the records, the concerts, the CDs, the DVDs, the rock and roll properties you want us to cover. And we would thank our incredible sponsors over at rarevinyl.com or eil.com. Remember, if you're looking for your rare or mint condition Alice in Chains, LPs, CDs, tour programs, whatever you're looking for, Go to rarevinyl.com, use our code PODCAST. It will get you 10% off not only your first order, but all your orders going forward. And they ship all around the world, folks. They have over a quarter million pieces in their collection. They're in great shape. They've been curated by an amazing team. And I know that there's collectors out there. So if you are looking for something special, you're looking for it in great shape, you want to get it in a reasonable amount of time, go to rarevinyl.com, use code PODCAST, save your 10% on all your purchases. And thanks to all of our friends at Pantheon Podcasts. We're so proud to be part of this network. About 100 great shows out there. All music, not all rock and roll. 
all sorts of different genres out there for you to kind of enjoy and to experiment with, take a look at. And remember, we are running the giveaway for two free front row tickets, an exclusive VIP experience to Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets in America. We're going to be at the Indianapolis show. Uh, go to pantheonpodcast.com backslash Nick Mason to learn more about that. Next week, we got to do something lighter, folks. We've got to do something a little bit lighter. And I've got a couple of ideas in mind, but Jackson and I are going to get together and think about it. Can't all be heavy metal and doom and heroin all the time. we got to have something a little bit lighter in our lives. So that'll be the goal for next week. So sincerely, to all you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.